the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are doing an entire sci-fi, not just sci-fi, but an entire Stargate episode. So we are going to break down the 1994 film Stargate. We are going to discuss the Stargate show, Stargate SG-1. And then do our own recasting of Stargate SG-1, but kind of the Stargate franchise, right. I guess, if you will. Yeah. So, so um, this is a franchise that I have little knowledge about, and I think my brother has a lot more knowledge about than I do. Yes. <laughs> because he, he gave me a... Um, you gave me homework. I did. Uh, specifically... You said we normally just like watch whatever episodes we want or whatever we can find on our own, uh, and then we'll talk about the show as a whole. But John said, "Okay, you got to watch the movie first, and then you have to watch this episode, and then this episode, and then this episode." And so he gave me three episodes, and I watched them all, uh, even though one of them was a freaking movie and not an episode. It was a ninety-minute. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, and so I did all that. Uh, so we'll talk. We'll talk about this once we get into it. And you even said we. Decided. So I think this was a decision by you and your wife. Yes. Okay. So this is a uh, John Spees and family uh, type of uh, franchise. It sounds like. Yeah. It, Stargate is especially SG One is very. It's very important in um, mine and my wife's relationship. Okay. Well, let's talk about that when we get to Stargate SG One. Um, but I want to know what else happened in 1994, a year of some phenomenal films. Yeah. I'll throw out there. All right. So the movie was released on October 28th, 1994. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. We've had that song uh, a few times. Well, it was podcast. on the it was on the top of the chart for a good long while in '94, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was it covered a lot of ground. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings was Home Improvement. Okay, great show. Yes. Uh, on this exact same day, actually, uh, the company Rare Limited released an arcade game called Killer Instinct. I wasn't quite familiar awesome. with it, actually. Absolutely, I played okay. it. Okay. What kind of game is it? I liked Full Gore. Uh, it was like a, a Mortal Kombat ripoff. Oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't particular. They had its own characters. Right. It was somewhat cool, but not nearly as cool. Right. Okay. Topping the New York Times bestseller list was Insomnia by Stephen King. Oh, wait. That's the, that turned into a movie with uh, uh, was it Al Pacino and uh, Robin Williams. Insomnia? I think Isn't so. Yeah, I believe so. I, would, I don't know if it's based on that, but I'd assume it was. Yeah. And my fun fact for 1994... Uh, Lisa Loeb was the first artist ever to have a number one hit without being signed to a major record label. Uh, her song Stay uh, hit number one in 1994, I think largely due to a movie that it was in, and it became gotcha. very popular. Uh, she didn't even not she did not even have an album out when the song. Wow. Hit. Yeah, a little a little trivia there. First person to ever have a number one hit without being signed to a. Uh, actually, not even a major record. She wasn't signed to any record label. She was not signed That's at all. That's really cool. So, uh, all right, that was 1994. All right. 
Well, John, we are going to arrange the symbols and make sure you've set the destination, and then we are going to warp into Stargate. Stargate from 1994. This was written and directed by Roland Emmerich. Uh, he also worked on Universal Soldier, Independence Day, The Patriot, and a good bit more. Um, obviously, he's done some sci-fi before with uh, Universal Soldier and Independence Day and some other things. Um, also was written by Dean Devlin, who worked uh, with Roland on basically all of his projects. They're like a, they're a writing and producing team together. Mm -hmm. Music was by David Arnold. Uh, we talked about him with Independence Day. He has also done music in composed the music for Too Fast, Too Furious, and then multiple James Bond films, like pretty much all of Pierce Brosnan's and a good bit of um, the Daniel Craig stuff as well. So kind of a little fun fact about this. When he was hired for this film, uh, he was just working in a record store. Uh, he had done oh, wow. a few short films, and he'd done one full-length feature, and the, the directors and the writers were a little nervous about him until they heard the music. They said the second they heard the music, they knew, oh, this is going to be great. And I'll be honest, music's pretty damn good in this film. It, it does. It has a good, full, like, epic feel yeah, to very, it. Yeah, very orchestral, cinematic mm -hmm. uh, thing. Very yep. kind of memorable melodies and stuff um, that you hear a lot, especially in the TV show, because they use them for the TV show. Yes, exactly. So, uh, cinematography, I want to call out, is done by Carl uh, Walter Linden Lindenlaub. Uh, also worked on Independence Day, but also the Jackal Ninja Assassin, and then the most recent uh, Halo show that I don't, I didn't watch it, but you know, we, I don't know. Well, I like. Halo. I say we watched it. Mostly, my wife watched it. I just was in the room. It okay. It looked cool. The story was not great, but you know. <laughs> okay, uh, and then the other person before the cast I want to mention um, is Patrick Tapadopoulos, who did the creature special effects okay. uh, and kind of just like that stuff also worked on independence day cruiser special effects you know the aliens there spawn uh underworld series and i am legend amongst a lot of other stuff mm -hmm. so very cool all right the cast for this film colonel jack o'neill is played by kurt russell and we talked about him with big trouble in little china he was in the thing he was in the hateful eight sky high uh, which is a movie i love to mention because i like sky high it's a dumb silly <laughs> disney movie but it's worth it uh dr daniel jackson was played by james spader uh, he has been in blacklist in the office uh, for tv wise also age of ultron he plays the voice of ultron mm -hmm. and uh, for our buddies over at uh, podcasting after dark they reviewed a movie called tough turf that he was oh, in. okay raw was played by jay david davidson uh, jay only has four credits to his name um so i didn't really see anything else that i really kind of recognize there Catherine Langford was played by Vivica Lindfer Lindfers. Uh, she was in Creepshow, and overall I saw a lot of credits uh, to her name. Scara was played by Alex Alexis Cruz. Uh, was, had a reoccurring role in Touched by an Angel and a decent amount of credits, and actually will show up again in uh, Stargate SG-1. Mm -hmm. Sha'uri uh, was played by Millie Avital. Uh, she had 30-ish something credits, but I really didn't recognize much. But she, her face is gorgeous. I don't know why. It's like one of those like show-stopping, stunning faces to me. Yeah. So, And then Kasuf is the last person I want to mention, which is Eric Avari, who we talked about. He was in The Mummy. Uh, he was also in Planet of the Apes and Mr. Deeds. He's a wonderful character actor. You see him in a lot of stuff. 
So this movie had a budget of $55 million and a box office of $196 million. Uh, so that's a pretty strong hit there, actually. I'd say that was a, a pretty good one. Do you do you remember seeing this one in the theater, or how did you come about Stargate? I cannot remember if I saw it in the theater or not. I know I saw it at some point before I was introduced to SG-1. So I know I did see it around the time it around the time it came out or soon after it went to video. Because by the time I got to see Stargate SG-1, I was already familiar with what the rough story was. But I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Okay. Uh, I think I saw this maybe once on TNT. Mm. I think, I swear it would have, it had to have played on TNT. I'm sure, it feels yeah. like a TNT movie to me. Yeah. And that's it. That is, I think it was a one-time watch on TV. Even if I saw the whole thing on TV, I don't remember or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent of my my connection to Stargate. Except I did have a toy. I actually had a little Horus toy from the movie. Okay. So so there you go. I don't know how I why I got that or whatnot, but that's I have one of those toys. I might still have it actually in my little bag for all I know. So. All right, uh, and so that's all my connections to the movie and your connections. So let's dive into our scene-by-scene breakdown. And you talked about David Arnold's score, and we start off with the opening credits, and there's already epic music playing. Mm-hmm. It just sounds great. I really like kind of how they started it off here. Um, then we begin in Egypt, 1928, at an archaeological dig. They find a, some circular standing structure. Uh, it's obviously made of some kind of metal or something, so it's not, you know, it doesn't seem like it fits with the other times of the pyramids and things like that. So we then forward to present day, uh, and a the girl who was there, who got some kind of like a little necklace thing, she still has that necklace. We see her much older now, obviously. Uh, we meet Dr. Jackson, who's debating about Egyptian pyramids and when they were built and who built them. Almost kind of conspiracy to all this whole group of other people mm-hmm. who basically just get up and leave because they, they think he's a bit of a kook. But he obviously, you know, seems intelligent. Yeah. So Catherine talks to him. Uh, she wants to hire him to translate some Egyptian hieroglyphs. Uh, so she's going to give him the chance to prove his theories are right, uh, which are basically, you know, you can kind of infer theories or maybe aliens or something else like that helped build the pyramids we then meet jack and jack o'neill is in a dark place mm-hmm. uh he apparently uh, you can tell from pictures that he's got he's sitting in his son's room and you can tell his son has died recently mm-hmm. or has died and so he's just there he's got a gun with him um these military guys come over and reactivate him and then the military guys leave And one of my least favorite things is I completely, even not remembering anything about this movie, Mm -hmm. I completely discerned, oh, he's sad, he's got a gun, he's contemplating something dark in this room where his son is, his son must have died. And then the guys walk back to their car, oh, what happened to him? Well, his son died recently. I'm like, well, fuck. Like, I, I just, I obviously <laughs> we figured that out. We just saw it, yeah. The exact opposite of what, you know, you showed me and then you told me. You don't need to do it. Just show me. Right. Show, don't tell is what they say. But anyway, that's just a. That has like, that has like all the stink of an executive who's like, well, the audience isn't going to be able to tell. <laughs> Bullshit. The audience is smarter Bullshit. than you think they are. It was so obvious. If you're going to say it, say it later where it's almost like a reveal, like to confirm mm-hmm. your thoughts. Don't just like blurt it out. Like it was, it was one, it was plenty obvious, right. but. 
that's aside. Uh, all right. So he's been reactivated, as we mentioned. So at this military installation, uh, they bring in Jackson and they show him artifacts, you know, that they were working on. And he comes in. He translates them immediately. He is obviously some kind of savant. He, mm-hmm. he knows this stuff way better than other people who have been there for so long. Um, and he, it even mentions a Stargate, as he calls whatever that is. Colonel O'Neill. Uh, is also there, and he's just, in general, he's just a complete hard-ass, and he just wants to kind of keep everything classified, and he's very kind of by-the-book, but hard-edged kind of dude is his character. So, uh, Jackson notices something in a newspaper showing Orion. Oh, and then he realizes, oh, this is what I've been missing about this other kind of thing where he has to match these, these symbols, and he realizes, okay, all right, he's starting to make some progress there. It's more of like things on a constellation. What gets me, though, is the picture that he equates with Orion looks exactly like every drawing of Orion I've ever seen. And how the scientists never got that was so so dumb. It's so blatantly Orion, you know. I mean, yeah, you could could start off like, okay, maybe this is an ancient archer or some other kind of hunter. But then eventually, I mean, you're going to think, oh, wow, that's. That's fucking Orion. Right. I mean, they used constellations for lots of things in the ancient world. So how your mind didn't go to that is that's a little suspect. They didn't bring in the smartest people. (laughs) Uh, You know, I guess uh, uh, they they only had people like Major Carter. Yeah, they only had people like Major Carter who wasn't in this movie. But then, you know, in the show, we'll talk about it. It's like, oh, I was there. I should have been on like bullshit. Where the fuck were you? Anyway, sorry. That's that's just a little. She was assigned somewhere else. Assigned. Sure. Whatever it was. So. All right. That's either near or, or there. That's how sure. writers try to make other things connect from TV to from movie to TV. So, all right. So at a meeting, uh, he shows everybody what he's discovered and they show him this device. And it's this big, the circular standing structure, which is the Stargate. And he solved it. He has figured out, you know, there's this tablet that had all this order. And so they set, um, they kind of do all like the puzzle pieces, if you will, kind of get that and it's completed. And then when it gets, once it gets all set, it opens a portal of some type. Um, and the graphics are okay. I mean, they're 90s, 1994 graphics. I'm not going to shit on them too bad. Right. Uh, so they first send in a probe, which tells them that it was sent to a totally different galaxy, like way, way, way far away. Mm. And uh, Jackson notices that there was a gate on the other side. And so to get back, you know, they can't just use the exact same, you know, symbols mm-hmm. and, and using that to get back they have to figure out how do the constellations work to get back to this place and then have a starting point from it and so you know he says oh yeah yeah i i've seen those i you know i can get i can get us back right away no problem mm-hmm. and so he gets added to a team because they're going to do a reconnaissance mission to try to figure out what the heck is on the other side of this stargate so uh catherine gives him a necklace that necklace and pendant that she had that she found on the you know the day they first found the, the stargate in 1928 as kind of luck and uh, the colonel and his men and Jackson prepare to go in. And I do like the line that uh, that Colonel O'Neill says. If anybody has anything to say, now's the time to say it. And then Jackson sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> he just He's such a nerd. <laughs> what a dweeb. All right. They enter the portal. And they, they, again, some outdated graphics like the warping technology, right. but not going to crap on that too much. Uh, and then they're there. And the planet looks very similar to ancient Egyptian style. It's very much the architectural style and very sandy, uh, very desert-like. Jackson's realized, oh, oh shit, I'm on another planet. 
this is the same architecture. I was right about my theory of Mm -hmm. someone else came to Earth and helped build the pyramids. And then at this point, Jackson decides to mention to O'Neill, yeah, I can't get you home. (laughs) He just kind of said, yeah, I kind of lied about that. You know, I kind of I got to find the order of the the symbols. I've also got to find like, you know, the the final symbol to kind of do the tethering to to know where the final destination is. Um, All that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're a little pissed. Uh, one of the guys who's particularly pissed for uh, played by French Stewart. I know. <laughs> who is like the most like non-military person I think I could ever think of. Right. Although I think this was his first movie. So, okay. Uh, so, yeah, you know him from 30 Rock from the Sun. He was like the squinty, the weirdest of the aliens right. <laughs> from 30 Rock or from Third Rock, not 30 Rock right. from the Sun. Third Rock. Different show. Yeah. So, um, meanwhile, O'Neill kind of sets himself aside for a moment and he's building something. You can tell it's a nuclear device. It's some kind of explosive that he kind of is in secret is uh, cre- is building or is putting together. Um, Jackson finds a weird animal thing. It's apparently called a mastage. And it's obviously used for writing because it's got a harness on it, John. Right. And did you did you recognize the sound of that mastage? I mean, it sounded like the um, what are they called? I don't know. It, it kind of sounded like uh, the things from Star Wars. Oh, like the the big the big the uh, banthas. That's what they're called, banthas. The banthas, yeah. Well, it might have, and they might have used some similar sounds, but they also used the voice of Frank Welker ah, for that thing. Okay, so Frankie. Frankie Welks even made it into Stargate. Absolutely. You need an animal sound. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's like the one other guy. Oh, why can't I think of his name right off the top of my head? Bradley D. Baker? Yeah. D. Bradley, D. Baker. Bradley Baker. He, You can go to him. But if you I mean, if you want it done, you, you go to you go to Frankie Welks. And by the way, those that, that was just a Clydesdale with, with stuff over it. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a big thing, and Clydesdales are huge. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've seen a Clydesdale in person, but I've heard they're just monstrously big. Yeah, so very cool. Uh, but this this uh, creature kind of eats um, Jackson's candy bar, and then kind of runs away and and drags, ends up dragging Jackson with it. Uh, but after it stops, the military comes to him, finds him, and they notice a large group of people uh, digging or something's going on. They're either building something or they're digging something. Um, they're kind of in a big group, so. Uh, the nat- they go up to the natives and the natives notice the necklace on Jack that Jackson is wearing, uh, which has the eye of raw on it. And they all kind of get onto their knees and like kind of, you know, pray before him or you kind of kneel before him, if you will. One kid gets freaked out when O'Neill tries to shake his hand and tell him it's OK. So he runs away, but comes back with his father, uh, Kasuf. Uh, who greets them with water and you know treats them you know very very well um, and gives them a fifth and and then Jackson gives him a Fifth Avenue bar. <laughs> Funny, I don't feel Fifth Avenue bar. Honestly, it's not it's not uh, that as popular oh, as no. a lot of people. Think. I actually quite like Fifth Avenue bars because they're very similar to Butterfingers. Okay, I don't. Uh, know. I was gonna say I don't know that I could tell you what a Fifth Avenue bar tasted like, but now if I see one, I think I'm gonna try one. See, and that I, I started to do that because I, at some point, Butterfinger changed their formula or something, and they started to taste bad. Uh-huh. And I've not liked Butterfingers as much as I have back in the day. Right. I feel like they did something to them. And, you know, whenever they say new and improved taste, that's bullshit. Right. All, all that means <laughs> is they found a cheaper way to make it, and they're hoping you'll just go along with right. it. But I've kind of stopped Butterfingers. Maybe they're, they'll do better. Um, but like there was a there was a period, you know, I mean, for a long time, Butterfinger was my favorite. I tell you which two uh, that I've really kind of gotten into 
uh, are one is the caramellos, which are made by Cadbury. Oh, okay. Sure. And which are, are fine, but uh, just the, caramel and chocolate yeah, yeah. I mean, is good. Uh, but the also ones the whatchamacallits. Uh, they're kind of crispy. Yeah, aren't they, they kind of like, like the like they got like the rice crispy. Thing yeah, inside. they're pretty good. Whatchamacallit. Yep, that's a good one. All right, let's get focus back up on Stargate. Uh, so they go to this big civilization uh, where the people are kind of like you know living, and Jackson seems infatuated with this beautiful Shauri. And who uh, wouldn't be because. There. You were right. Gorgeous face. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely stunning. Uh, there they notice this large symbol, the Eye of Ra, which is the Egyptian sun god, kind of their main god in the Egyptian culture, if you will. Um, now, they those are all kind of different stuff. You know, they're different. You can't think of Ra as like, I think I think a lot of like kind of monotheistic religions think that, okay, Ra is like the the god god but mm-hmm. not necessarily because they they were like much more like their uh, polytheistic right. so it's like Ra's the sun god and sure it's the main for worship but they had they had little gods for everything very much like greek stuff like zeus is like you know the king of the gods but zeus didn't couldn't control everything right anyway that's just neither here nor there i just kind of like some mythology stuff mm-hmm. and i've always liked um egyptian mythology mom used to have a book uh, of some different mythologies, and I read through it quite a bit. Actually, I quite hmm. liked it, and Egyptian stuff was really interesting to me. So cool. So uh, we do also notice back at the base camp, there's a sandstorm. Uh, so the remaining men, you know, need to abandon it, and go back to inside uh, near where the Stargate was, and Jackson uh, and the guys at the civilization are treated to dinner, and he tries to communicate them. He tries to write something in the sand, but. They're all kind of worried. They no, 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 don't write anything. They're apparently forbidden to read and write, it seems. So uh, so they take Jackson away. And they kind of bathe him up. And then in comes beautiful Sha'uri. And she undresses. Uh, we don't see anything. Right. But she undresses. And she was apparently sent there as a present for him. Um, but he kind of freaks out because he's a good gentleman. And he doesn't, you know, want to in his mind, take advantage of her and all that. And I'm like, I would have been like, yeah, I'd unwrap that gift right away. I'll tell you right now. I'm not above that. <laughs> it's just part of their culture, John. You don't want to be rude. <laughs> no, you don't want to be rude. You don't. No, exactly. Uh, so, all right. Then uh, he writes in the sand to, she then writes in the sand kind of to communicate with him um, as he kind of tries again to, to, to do some communication. And then she, and she writes the symbol that he notices, oh, it's the one from Back from Earth. So the symbol that he sees is like, okay, that's what he's, he's making connections, how to work the Stargate, basically. Uh, back at the pyramid with the other military guys, weird shit is going on. They're getting attacked. Uh, they're getting killed by this awesome big metal head looking Anubis thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty badass. Uh, O'Neill uh, bonds with this kid, Skara, uh, the boy from earlier, except... When Skara touches his gun, he freaks out and O'Neill smacks it away from him and kind of obviously shades from the past haunting him. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Again, I didn't need to be told I could have made those connections myself, but that's neither here nor there. So, all right. Ferretti um, is brought, who is who is captured by Anubis and that group, is brought before some important person. Um, you know, obviously they're kind of God figure and 
he's knocked out again. O'Neill tries to find Jackson and, you know, it's comical when he can't communicate with the people. He's trying to be like, hey, he's trying to find, he's like, oh, this guy, you know, you'd call him a dweeb here. He's doing, making these fake glasses and all this other mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And they're all just repeating what he does. Uh, but eventually they do figure it out. And so they get to him and Jackson's explained what he's learned that he's been, you know, been able to translate some stuff. And we find out kind of some of the backstory here where this alien, this creature has been able to cheat death. Uh, the alien has possessed a human-like body or a human body, and has able to use the mineral, uh, whatever that Stargate is made from, to obtain more immortality, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, he was rebelled against um, about from Earth because he they first he enslaved Earth people, but they eventually rebelled against his uh, him and his godness and and all this kind of stuff. But on on this planet, he has decided to keep them enslaved. He has not allowed them to read or write or things like that. Mm-hmm. So he's been able to keep rule on at least one planet. So and then they also find the tablet that they are looking for that'll give them the order uh, to go back through the Stargate back to home. Um, but the seventh symbol is too worn off. So they're still trying to figure out, all right, what is the symbol um, for that planet there? Uh, O'Neill has them return to the base, but they find this big floating pyramid that Ra had flown over over that other one um, and has taken it over. Uh, Horus attacks one of them as they enter the pyramid and O'Neill and Jackson escape and they have to go get the bomb and he wants to set it, but the bomb is now gone. Did you recognize the actor who plays Horus? I, once they took the head off, I, well, no, actually I didn't. I recognize the IMDb name, right, of okay. course, but he kind of, he looked a little, he looked a little, he's not as lean as he is now. Right. But but that was uh, Jiman Hansu. Yep. Or giant. I'm not sure how exactly to pronounce it, right. but you've seen him in tons of stuff. Uh, he was in Shazam recently. Right. Uh, he's an Amistad, Blood Diamond, Constantine, Gladiator, bunch of stuff. Glad. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. So and then uh, Anubis comes in and takes them to go meet Ra, who presents the bomb that they brought, and so he could kind of tell what was going on. O'Neill steals a weapon and is able to take some of them down and uh, Jackson ends up getting hit with a blast uh, and he gets knocked out and then they get dumped and then O'Neill gets knocked out and they get dumped into a holding cell with all the other men and the military guys that they've got. So uh, Horus play uh, different like Hawk planes, I guess, or Horus planes or whatever you will go and shoot up the civilization from earlier uh, all because they helped these strangers. And so they're just continuing the rule of fear. Mm. Ross speaks with Jackson, who is now completely fluent in their language. <laughs> he went really fast into complete uh, fluency. And Ra plans to steal or to send the bomb back to Earth with a whole bunch of that mineral that they've got there. And it'll make it a hundredfold more powerful. So basically a nuclear bomb, a hundredfold, would basically wipe out the planet. Yeah, something I want to throw in real quick is you kind of glanced over it. Um, so when Jackson gets hit, he, he's not, he's not knocked out. Yeah. He's almost killed. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that he, that Rob puts him in is they call, just call the sarcophagus and that's yeah. what heals him. And that's, it's important to know that cause that comes back later. Okay. Yep. It does. You're right. Very true. Uh, Sha'uri tells her people about what Daniel told her about the uprising that they had on earth as well. Just kind of letting them know. Um, at the uh, execution, they're going to hold a public execution of Colonel O'Neill and his men, and they want Daniel to do it for some reason. I'm not really sure about why. Right. 
So they uh, they have that. But instead, what happens is we see Skara shows that he's got some of the military guns that uh, from the military guys. And Jackson ends up shooting at the raw and those people. And then mass madness ensues. And, you know, while well, the natives are shooting guns to help distract. And so they get out of there. And just in general, there's a rebellion that's starting. So the people of this planet are starting their own rebellion, just like how Earth did a while back. So, but Colonel O'Neill, he doesn't, he doesn't want this. Ultimately, Jackson forces O'Neill to tell everybody about the bomb that he was, you know, his orders were to mm-hmm. come back to come and basically be a uh, the last person and be a sacrifice himself to blow up the Stargate on the other side, so nothing could get back to Earth. So, uh, Raw, in a fit of anger, ends up killing one of his guards for failing. He has this kind of hand thing, almost like he's, I don't know if he's sucking the life out of the guy, or I'm not sure what it is, but whatever. Ra's got some powers. Right. So, all right. Uh, Jackson talks to Sha'uri, uh, finds out that they are apparently mar- married from that ritual. <laughs> so, okay. And so, you know what? He makes some moves, and you assume he bangs her. Yes. <laughs> now they're married. Now it's okay, Jackson. Right. Uh, Skara draws a glyph, and Jackson figures out, oh, this glyph that's, that he just drove, that he just wrote, this is the seventh symbol. This is the point of origin. Uh, this is the planet that they're on and how they uh, symbolize it. So he now feels he can use the Stargate. Horus goes and berates people in the civilization, uh, but O'Neill and them, they fight, in the, you know, and the rebels then kill him. So now Horus is dead. Uh, Kasuf, who doesn't want this rebellion, he's still in massive fear. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks it's only going to cause disaster. Jackson then re- reveals to him that Horace, who, you know, had this big metal like hawk mask on, he's actually just a man. And so he kind of pops down the mask. He's just he's a man just like him. Then all these other Horace guards um, have people, you know, bring in the mineral because they're going to about to send it over through the Stargate. But O'Neill and Jackson infiltrate and a battle occurs. Rebellion is taking place. Uh, O'Neill uh, resets up the bomb. He's going to make sure it goes off. And then a uh, Horus guard shoots Shuri and she's dead. Oh man, that sucks. <laughs> so uh, down comes Anubis to fight on this uh, kind of a, like a warp ele- escalator, not elevator. It's like a kind of like teleporting thing. elevator type thing. Yeah. Teleporting elevator. Yes, exactly. That goes kind of straight down from the ship, almost like Star Trekky style, mm-hmm. if you will. And Anubis comes down and, while he's going down, up goes Jackson and Shuri, and he takes her to Ra's healing chamber that you described mm-hmm. from earlier. During the battle outside, we see some natives are dying, military trying to fight with the horse planes, but, you know, they're all out of ammo. It's not going great for them. Um, Shuri is now healed, and Jackson is going to take her back down, um, but Ra gets to him, and he is going to kill him the same way he killed that guard earlier uh all meanwhile o'neill fights anubis ends up killing him by putting putting his head down where the tractor beam elevator <laughs> or you know was going down so it basically warps half of his head off right which is pretty badass i'm not gonna lie yeah. i like that because of that elevator thing jackson is able to get out of that and O'Neill tries to stop the bomb so everybody can get out right now, but the countdown won't stop. So basically the military set it. So once he starts it, it's going to just go off no matter what. Kowalski, one of the other guys, you know, he's about to give up. They can't defeat, you know, the Horus 
guards and, and everything at right that time until Kasuf runs in over the horizon uh, with the dunes, with a whole bunch of people. They have decided, you know what, we're going to join this rebellion. And so they want their freedom. And yay, it's fun. All the people fighting for themselves. So fun little fact about that shot about them running down the hill. Originally, they set up like nine cameras, and they told everyone to run towards the camera. What happened was that when everyone started running, they completely spread out so that only Uh, Kasuf uh was the only one left when he came in the middle. So they had to redo it on a new dune because now there were footprints all over that dune. Yeah, They had to redo it on a new dune, and this time they just put down one camera. We're like, all right, just run towards the – just follow Kasuf. Just follow Kasuf. (laughs) Just follow (laughs) Kasuf. That's funny. So Raw is – about to leave he's trying to take his pyramid and get the fuck out of there because rebellion is running wild uh o'neill and jackson send that bomb because then it's about to blow they send it up the uh teleporter and roth turns and sees it and it blows them the fuck up yep. yay they won scara and that group of kids and rebel you know those people uh natives salute o'neill because it's cute and then we cut to the Stargate is open and the military head back through it. They're back home, but Jackson wants to stay. He is in love with Shuri. He is married to her now, apparently, and yada, yada, yada. We get some yeah. poor 90s graphics, <laughs> uh, and that's the end of the movie. And I blew through that. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't mean to, but it's not like it, it's not like the movie had a bunch of depth. This is kind of an action movie. Yeah, it know? absolutely was an action movie. So, so yeah, that is the gist of... Of the plot and the storylines of Stargate, uh, John, let's start with you sure. about you know what were your thoughts on rewatching this movie? I've always thought the movie was okay. I never thought the movie was necessarily great. Um, it's an interesting concept uh, playing into the whole did aliens build the pyramids? You know, theory. It's fun. The characters are are fun. I really got into the characters more so in the TV show because of how they kind of fleshed them out there and and that sort of thing. The movie itself, I very rarely go back to watch. Very rarely. It's fine. It's never never been like one of my favorite go-tos. I felt mostly the same. Uh, This is a pretty decent sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed myself, you know, enough. I'm not sure I honestly needed the Jackson Shuri romance at all. Right. I think it was just kind of thrown in there, you know, maybe like, hey, let's give the girl something to like with this movie. Yeah. You know, because every movie has to have a romance, apparently. Yeah. It just didn't need it. You know, I just don't think it needed. I just I like the Egyptian history and that kind of stuff. And you're right. Tying into the whole conspiracy theory of aliens building the pyramids. This is a cool way to make that happen. I enjoyed myself enough, but like, yeah, this is not going to be a go back. I don't feel like I need to buy the DVD or anything right. like this. But is this an adequate film? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely adequate. All right. Now we're going to move on to Stargate SG-1. And this show premiered on Showtime in 1997. Mm-hmm. It would eventually move to the Sci-Fi Channel in 2002 and it ran until 2007 10 seasons 214 episodes and two straight to dvd movies mm-hmm. besides this show it also spawned multiple spin-offs uh, including an animated an animated tv show called stargate infinity and then live action spin-offs uh, the most successful being stargate atlantis right and then stargate universe and stargate origins 
So this is a legit bona fide franchise that came off of the movie. So and I checked. I wasn't sure if there was like, hey, was there a book or anything this was based off? No, it came from the movie. Everything came right. from the started from the film. So, yes. Um, and I do want to mention that the show held the record for longest running American live action sci fi show until eventually Supernatural right. surpassed that. Which is Nobody's going to touch Supernatural now. They've, they, they did it for way too long. It went on for like 20 years. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, the show was developed for TV by Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner. Uh, they also worked on, between them, things like The Outer Limits, 21 Jump Street, and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, All right, let's talk the cast of this show. J- Colonel Jack O'Neill, which I noticed was spelled differently. Yeah, with two L's. Played by Richard Dean Anderson, who most people would probably recognize as MacGyver. Yeah. That was MacGyver from the late 80s, early 90s. I did find out because I, I kind of looked through some stuff. I find out I found out why the name was changed in the spelling because Richard Dean Anderson requested it because he apparently wanted it, his he felt his take was going to be different than the kind of hard nosed Kurt Russell take. Right. And so in his head, he wanted it to have a different spelling. So it, it, it feel it'd be more like a different character, his own character. OK, if you will. Actors are weird, man. Yeah, you know. Just okay. No one cares. No one cares. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Dr. Daniel Jackson was played by Michael Shanks, and he's had a lot of other small parts, but this is the main thing that I recognize. Yeah, he's the thing. He's this is the thing he's most known for. Okay. Uh, Major Samantha Carter was played by Amanda Tapping. Uh, She was in a show called Sanctuary, uh, some other things, but Mm -hmm. she actually really got into TV directing. Yes. Uh, And so she has directed episodes of Supernatural, The Flash, Batwoman, bunch of stuff, actually. So, and as we kind of alluded to before, her character mentions in like the first uh, episode that, you know, oh, I was actually always part of this team. Like, you know, I should have been going through the Stargate and all this kind of stuff. It's like, to me, that's just lazy writing. Okay. <laughs> you couldn't have found another way to get her. And then she's like, well, I was there too. <laughs> I promise. Um, but anyway, uh, Teal'c is played by Christopher Judge. Um, he has done a good bit of stuff. Actually, quite a bit of voice acting. Mm-hmm. So I recognize him a little bit as the voice of Magneto in X-Men Evolution show, which I liked X-Men Evolution. Okay. Uh, But video game people would recognize his voice as Kratos in the more recent God of War 4 and God of War Ragnarok. Yeah. Games. So very cool. Uh, General Hammond is played by Don S. Davis, uh, who we talked recently. He was in Con Air, a right. short little role, but we know him probably a little bit better from League of Their Own. Yep. And you know him from this. He passed away in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, gone a while back. But but yeah, he's a he's a nice actor that you see in plenty of stuff. Yeah. Dr. Frazier was played by uh, Terrell Rothery. Lots of Hallmark movies. Like in made for TV movies. That's what I noticed. Like, holy crap. Like she definitely got a contract to do a bunch of those. So, uh, and then Apophis, uh, who is, uh, one of the main villains was played by Peter Williams. Also a good bit of stuff, but nothing I really recognized from him. Um, and then there, cause it's a show, a long running show. Of course, there's going to be a bunch of guest appearances or things like that. And so between, uh, other actors who appeared in the show, Robert Picardo, Marina Baccarin, Louis Gossett Jr., Vanessa Angel, Dan Castellaneta, Wayne Brady, Dom DeLuise, and even James Earl Jones was in an episode. Mm-hmm. So very cool. So I'm going to start off. The plot of Stargate SG-1 picks up a year after the conclusion of the film. 
and the events of the film. And it is a direct kind of sequel. It follows exactly that storyline. Um, and it's kind of following that present day SG one group, which is a military team. that kind of split up into different SG groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the one that includes O'Neill and Jackson. And now this new Carter, and then we'll find how Teal joins and stuff like that. So John, Tell me your history and why are we talking Stargate SG-1? While I was still in college, uh, after my wife had finished college, she moved down from Philadelphia to Athens, Georgia to live around me. And while there, I came to learn that Stargate SG-1 was her favorite show. So, like any good boyfriend, I began to watch the show with her. She had the DVDs and, and would watch it on TV and stuff. And then I became to I came to really love the show. I really came to love the characters. And so it became a big part of our relationship was this TV show. So much so that our honeymoon was arranged around visiting Vancouver where they shot the show. <laughs> oh wow. So and this and we went we went on our honeymoon to Vancouver around the like the height of the show's popularity. So it was still really, really big. It was around season, around like season six or seven, or maybe seven or eight or something like that. That we when we went up there, so it was still going strong. And we went to a few locations that we recognized. Um, we couldn't obviously go do a, you know, we couldn't get into the studio, but we did drive by the studio. Be like, hey, that's <laughs> where they shoot our favorite show. <laughs> went to a couple of locations, and then we went on our honeymoon to other st- spots, but we specifically stopped in Vancouver to see where our favorite TV show was being cool. shot. So it became a, a big part of our of our relationship and our life. Just It was the show that we loved, that we wanted to see every time, and watched it all the way to the end. Um, I can't say I loved it in the end, uh, especially the final two seasons, uh, nine and ten. Eight was, eh. and it actually had nothing to do. One thing that that was a big shift um, was when Richard Gene Anderson left the show, which I think was after season seven. Okay. So I think eight, nine, and ten, I think he was not in it. And they kind of replaced him with Ben Browder, uh, who had played the uh, Colonel Mitchell. I liked Colonel Mitchell. He was fine. What I didn't like in those last few seasons were the, was the writing. They came up with some really annoying bad guys, for, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. it. It was honestly, it was exactly like how Scrubs ended, oh, okay. where Scrubs ended like they changed a bunch of stuff because some actors were leaving and they wanted to keep it going. It, it just, it didn't work for me. The characters that they came up with, I actually didn't mind. Um, actually, both Ben Browder and Claudia Black came over to be regulars on the show, and they had just finished. Uh, the final seasons of Farscape, which was another big sci-fi show. Both of them came over from Farscape to be on Stargate SG-1. I didn't mind their characters. I just didn't like the writing in those last several seasons. But, as I said, it became a huge thing. Like we, I have all the DVDs of all the seasons. I've listened mm-hmm. to pretty much every... I've watched every episode with commentary. Oh, wow. That's a sign of a true uh, hardcore fan right there. Yeah. So I, I've I I really deep dove into this show. It really became a favorite. Also, uh, just as a funny little thing, uh, kind of fortified my love of the P90, which is the firearm that they used in this show. <laughs> okay. Uh, which is why I use it a lot in Call of Duty. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, that's the only way I know of it because of Call of Duty. Right. 
And my connection to the show is I'd never seen it before. I figured. I knew my nerd brother had watched it, uh, and that's it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the extent of my knowledge with Stargate SG-1. So, so yeah, a couple interesting things about, Star, about the show. Uh, apparently, Roland Emmerich, uh, the director, obviously, of uh, the movie, he wanted he actually wanted to make a trilogy mm-hmm. of Stargate, like he wanted, but it didn't continue. Which I'm kind of surprised because it made money, right? But they, I guess, the studio decided to go with this TV route instead. Or by the time you know he was trying to make that happen, the studio, the TV show was already in the works. So he's rumored to dislike Stargate SG One, or yes. at least admits that it kind of went a total different direction to where he wanted to take the films. Right. Yeah, I, I had so. heard that as well that that he didn't particularly like. Yeah. Uh, the TV show, which is fine. He doesn't have to like it, but I loved it. So, <laughs> fuck him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then the uh, opening credits, as you mentioned, were basically the theme music done by David Arnold. But, something interesting, the guy who did the music for the show was done by Joel Goldsmith, who is the son of Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. Which is really good. Jerry Goldsmith is a phenomenal, you know, he did Star Trek, you know. Right. Everybody knows him for that, but also a bunch of other stuff. Um, And some uh, things that Joel Goldsmith did, also Diagnosis Murder, (laughs) that show. Oh, wow. Uh, But (laughs) That's a a show name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. Uh, And then also, like, pretty much a lot of the other Stargate stuff as well. Moved on and did Atlantis and, you know, I think the other stuff. Peter DeLuise, who you would recognize as Dagwood on Sequest, because we talked Sequest. Right. Uh, he actually wrote and directed and produced numerous episodes of Stargate. Yep. Also the son of Dom DeLuise. All, who, yep, who appeared in an episode. But also, sure Peter one, DeLuise so. was also uh, Johnny Depp's partner in 21 Jump Street. Very true. Yeah, so I mean, he's had a very good career on his own. All right, so you had me watch. I want to know why did you pick those episodes? So the episodes you had me watch was the fur, the opening, Children of the Gods. Right. That makes total sense. Yeah, it, it, that that was the connective thread. You know that they sets them on their own stuff, and so I totally got that. And that was my favorite of the three episodes that you made me watch. Then you made me watch um, the season ender for season three, where it had all these little micro bite thing, right. micro things that were battling. And then you watched me, had me watch season four, episode six, where it was like a Groundhog Day loop. Right. So why did you choose those three episodes? Okay, well, the the Children of the Gods, that's self-explanatory. It sets up the yes. world that Stargate's in. It, lets you, it tells you, like, so they don't really explain who the alien species is in the movie, how they are parasites or anything like that. Children of the Gods, we start to set up who the Gol'uld are. That's the actual parasitic thing, how they take over the body. You know, They kept the flashing eye thing to let you... So that way you can differentiate yeah. who is a Gol'uld. And who the Jaffa are, who are kind of like... They're, they're soldiers who actually host Gol'uld in their bodies, but the Gol'uld don't take them over because they're usually... They're youth Gol'uld, but they help to heal the soldiers. That was makes them a little bit... It's, you know, it's just a little plot device or whatever mm-hmm. so the the one with the the little bug guys which why i just blanked on their the replicators replicators mm-hmm. that is kind of like the borg of this universe they keep okay. coming back and it seems a little silly at first but they actually become this huge quite formidable adversary and that's the introduction to them 
So I kind of wanted to introduce you because obviously I can't be like, I need you to watch all 10 seasons for this. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> no. So I wanted just to kind of introduce characters to your, or there's also the uh, the Asgard. I think the Asgard appear in that episode as well, who are like the yes, little, yes, they do. Like, they are like the stereotypical alien. Oh, they looked exactly and, like a, like and a typical that's, alien. That's in, in the mythos of the show, they are the reason why we have that is because okay. we captured their ships before. Why we think all aliens look like them because they were the only ones we had known about. So they they fly in those like saucer kind of things. Then yeah, is that by chance? Okay, so yeah, yeah. very typical. So they're Got they're it. using the mythos of 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 our of Earth in in this show is like oh those are really are aliens and stuff like that. They're a very powerful race actually. And then the other one is actually just my favorite episode. Okay. Uh, that one's just a little. It's a little bit more comedic, and I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to. I wanted to show you one that was a little bit more lighthearted and stuff. So that's really why I picked those three. There are tons of other episodes I could have picked, but I figured three was probably going to be the limit of uh, what uh, you were yeah. going to be able to watch, <laughs> especially with Children of the Gods basically being a long pilot sure. film. Sure, but it was nice to see some stuff later on in the the um, kind of see how you know where they show could make it their their own right um, a bit as well. So. Uh, so, yeah, I watched all three of those. My favorite was Children of the Gods because that was the connective tissue. Right. My least favorite was actually the the, the one with the Asgards and the Borg ones. Okay. Um, replicators. I didn't disl- replicators, yeah. Uh, I didn't dislike it all that much, but it was kind of a somewhat more boring episode to me because I didn't really know... It right. jumped me straight into like, what the fuck is this thing? Right. What the fuck is these other goddamn Asgard things? Why are they called Asgards when I, he's called, this guy is called Thor. Right. That ain't Thor. <laughs> <laughs> like shit. Like, so I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. Um, and my, and then I actually did quite like the, um, the time loop one. Well, that one's kind of, it, that one's, as long as you know who the characters are, it's very self-contained. You don't yeah, need yeah. to know too much else other than they're visiting this world to, to like that one. Exactly. So it was easy to jump on that one. So, um, the first thing that came to my mind when I watched these episodes was, wow, every fucking being in the universe speaks English, huh? Isn't that a bit strange? <laughs> I mean, that kind of like, really? Because they, at least in the movie, they like, you know, spoke their own languages and they just gave up on that in this show. They just right. like, eh, fuck it. Just let everybody speak English. <laughs> eh, so that, what you going to do? Yeah, I think they got rid of just, you know, uh, um, logic when it comes to a lot of stuff and they're just like let's just make it easy for us well the, yeah and they do address the languages like the asgard originally uh richard dean anderson actually gets infected uh with a thing that basically teaches him their language and gives mm. them all of their knowledge he gives them all the knowledge of their race which actually puts him in danger because his brain was not designed to help that so like mm-hmm. they have to find a way to use the knowledge and like get it out of his head before he dies. But anyway, that's and that's when they meet the Asgard. And so the Asgard starts this relationship with them. So by the time you've seen this, the Asgard can speak English. Well, I'm sure the Asgard could probably speak whatever languages they needed to to begin with because they had already been visiting Earth, so they were familiar with us. Even in Children of the Gods, um, Apophis, uh, like... Instead, like when he's on his own and he's talking to his guards, right? He's speaking in English and not in like the native tongue. Yes. and it's just like, well, why? that doesn't make any fucking I, sense. And I and I really think that was just like they didn't want to, you know, yeah. it was nineties, it was lazy writing, or like, we, we can't, we have to dumb it down. Nowadays, I think if they redid this, they wouldn't because we're mm-hmm. used to seeing 
stuff like other languages in you know yeah. even like in Game of Thrones and and other other sci-fi series sure. you know they don't they don't look down on the audience as being and, unable to follow something like that and I will throw out just a technological thing with that is standard definition and smaller TV sizes make subtitles harder nowadays right. everyone's got a big ass TV and it's clear as shit so yeah. subtitles are easier to handle in an HD world yeah so it's okay. understandable Sure, but I I totally understand like the preference of of wanting to hear the regular yeah. original languages. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's the gist that I had from this show. Is there anything in particular you want to talk about before we jump into our final thoughts? I mean, honest, like you have a podcast where you talk about every episode of of uh, Seinfeld. I could totally mm-hmm. do a podcast where I talk about every single episode of Stargate um, in the same vein. I watched every season. Uh, most of the seasons I watched multiple times um, to the point where I really knew the show. I, I really only rewatched one episode upon doing this because I had already seen the show many, many times. Um, I actually re- I rewatched, I think it's Wheel of Time. Is that the name of it? The, episode, the one that I had, the, the Groundhog Day one that I had you watch. Um, and that was just to show our kids because we were, we were my wife and I were talking about it in front of them as to which episodes we thought you should watch. And they were like, well, what is this show? We're like, well, sit down, kids. We're going to let you. <laughs> this show is pretty much the reason why you're here. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one thing I, I love about Stargate is it is able to really deep dive into the lore that is started and actually not very detailed in the movie. Like, they don't talk about the names of the aliens. They don't talk about the name of the, mi- and the mineral of what it's mm-hmm. called in the, the show. Or they, the planet. Yeah. Uh, in the show that Mineral uh, gets called Naquita, um, okay. you meet a lot of cool, you know, it's a TV series, so you meet a lot of cool other alien species, and there's a lot of really, really cool stuff that happens. And I imagine those alien species, because we already talked about Asgard, and there's obviously the Egyptian ties, there's a lot of other ties to other deities, I, I would guess. Yes, so in, in so in the movie, um, they give the names like Horus and Anubis to like his workers, but in the show, all of those are gods, are actually Go'uld, who have their own like dynasties? So okay. like up like Ra had his own dynasty. Apophis kind of like takes and actually a lot of them battle each other. So like okay. each one each gold is like it's like its own dynasty, and they will fight amongst each other to mm-hmm. grab territories and stuff like that. So it is a lot more in depth. And then on on top of and on top of that, you find out there's many many more Stargates. That connect many, many more worlds, so you meet a lot more species and more alien races and stuff like that, and which to me makes it just more fun. It's it's more like Star Trek, where you're just meeting all of these different stuff. We have good relations with some, bad relations with another, with others. The thing that they answer, so like you meet a lot of alien species or a lot of other people who are human, and their thing is that is that the gold stole human from earth so all Mm -hmm. humans in the show come from earth but they've been taken to other planets to be slaves to the gold and in some cases they broke away from the gold in some cases they didn't or they adapted Mm -hmm. and stuff like that their explanation was that they the gold used the stargate system to herd humans off of earth to these other planets to create these other civilizations and whatnot Mm mm-hmm Sweet. So I mean, they did they did retcon a little bit from the raw the raw creature right or alien was like 
the last of his species, but they kind of like, eh, no, they kind of like danced around that. And they just right. like, no, they're all kind of fighting each other. So sure. 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 So, yeah. um, I'll start off with my comments cause I'll be pretty quick. Sure. It wasn't bad. You know, I thought the show was not bad. I cannot say this was a top level. I have to go watch everything now. You ha- you mm-hmm. found a new fan in me. Right. But I didn't dislike it. There is a healthy amount of cheese, but I think <laughs> the show knows that. Yes. And, it, and it, it leans into it a little bit, especially sure. the farther, you know, like any show, it takes a couple of seasons for the show to really find its voice. And I mm-hmm. think like a lot of shows, by the third season is when you really start to feel the 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 show settle into its consistent voice. Exactly. They were probably exactly they were following a movie kind of, you know, template and then they kind of got their own. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I could but I could see the transition not being that bad. Um so yeah, I liked it fine. I'm not going to be diving into 214 episodes right. anytime soon. Um uh, cuz there's so much other shit I'm right. I'm way behind already. Right. But you did fine. Okay. You did a, you, I I give it a thumbs up. Okay, cool. I don't really have too much to say other than this. For the longest time, this was my absolute favorite show, and it will always uh, be nostalgic for me for that reason. I spent so much time, you know, watching the show, learning, you know, loving the show, lear- learning about all the the things, listening to. I wanted to know everything. I listened to every episode's, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, you know, commentary tracks. I we traveled to these places. We we just love the show so much. So it's a big part of my past, and it will forever stay as one of my favorites. Love that. I want to add one last thing. Knowing that this show started off in Showtime, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we're going to get some language, we're going to get some nudity, we're going to get some gore, this is going to be great. It was not. It was just like any other show. Yeah, you get a little bit of nudity in that first episode, but that's about it. Well, it's it's like a back. Yeah, I didn't really get... I didn't. Really no, you, get, get, uh, you get some boob. Oh, I didn't... I didn't yeah, you missed it. Boob. You do You get a little bit of boob. Not a lot okay. of boob. Well, you get a I little need, boob. I needed more boob. <laughs> yeah. But besides that, that's just that's a neither here nor there. Yeah. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Journey into the mysterious alien world of Abydos through the Stargate. Daniel Jackson and Colonel O'Neill battle the evil Ra, but Ra strikes back with a sinister Horus in the wicked Wing Glider. I am Ra, you must obey me. No way! Then Ra's guard Anubis morphs into a jackal, attacks and captures Jackson. So O'Neill charges to the rescue in the ATC. O'Neill's got the glider in his sight. And Ra's got trouble! Stargate, gateway to the ultimate adventure. Figures and vehicles he sold separately. All right. Well, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As I mentioned, or as we mentioned at the top, we're going to cast Stargate SG One mostly because that was the show that I loved the most. So I really wanted to try to recast that one more so than just the movie. Uh, we'll do uh, Colonel Jack O'Neill, Doctor Daniel Jackson, Samantha Carter, and Teal, which were the four main characters of the show. General Hammond. Uh, who is important, and then Dr. Frazier. And I figured I'd throw in at least one bad guy. In the show, there are lots of them, so it's hard to say. Actually, Anubis is a gold god. He actually becomes one of the most formidable golds out of all of them. Um, And actually a pretty cool character, actually. His arc would actually be something worth watching. Uh, But we'll do Apophis, because that's the first one you meet, um, Mm -hmm. since they killed Ra in the movie. So Apophis becomes, at least for the first couple seasons, I believe, he's like the main bad guy. So okay. we'll do that, and we'll start by casting him. Adam, who did you cast as Apophis? 
between Raw and Apophis that we saw in the movie, they kind of had that Middle Eastern Egyptian look to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I was wanted to keep that. And also you wanted someone, you can't have someone too old uh, because this, I get, well, you don't, I guess you can, um, but it kind of looked like youth and forever youth was part of their look mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, that's, that's the, that's the godhood vibe that they got. So I went with a younger actor who has played Egyptian before in the Disney movie Aladdin. I went with Mena Masood. Okay. I like that call. Yeah. I did. I did kind of look at him. I actually did go with an older actor, but your logic makes sense as to why you picked a younger actor, and I totally get that. Okay. So uh, I have no problems with that. Um, I also did, I figured, you know, I, since since this is a, it's based off e- Egyptian mythology, I did want him, I did want Apophis mm-hmm. to kind of have that Egyptian look, because at this point, Apophis, like many of the other Gould, had been around for thousands of years. So mm-hmm. uh, I went with an actor I've used before, and I actually know him more for playing a French character than an Egyptian character, but he himself is Egyptian. Uh, his name is Amir Wakad or Waked. It's A M R W A K E D. Oh, oh yes, I remember his look on IMDb specifically because I've looked him up before. It's yeah. something that you've yeah because of you because uh, he was before. in the he was in the movie Lucy. Yeah, which I actually rather liked. It was a it was a fun movie. The ending was weird. In Lucy, but okay. uh, he plays a big part in that in that film. I'm sure he would do just fine. He's got plenty of credits. He's been in some fairly big movies. Um, yeah, so sure, I'll give you that. Cool. Uh, all right, let's go on to Doctor Fraser. Doctor Fraser could really be anyone. Mm-hmm. She's just the doctor. I didn't get much. I kind of even forgot that I saw her because she only appears in uh, the the. The Groundhog Day last episode, episode I watched yeah. in the Groundhog Day episode, and so I was, at first I was like, "Who the fuck is it?" But she is the medical officer. Yeah, and so that's because uh, I didn't even recognize you know the name at all until I kind of did the research. Like, hey, did I even watch her at all? Um, so yes, so that's yeah. You're, I think you're right though. She could be pretty much anyone. Yep. Uh, so I actually just I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna find someone who I've never cast before, and this is actually an actress I really don't know much about. I just kind of like okay. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna pick someone. Who I haven't used, um, but are, are there? Are, I don't since I didn't really tell about the character. Are there any specific personality traits? I wouldn't say so. She's pre- she's a pretty okay. general medical officer. Okay, I mean very similar to Doctor Crusher. Just kind of she's the yeah. medical officer. Okay. Um. So this one, her probably her biggest ones were she was in the TV show FBI, which was around around 2020, uh, and she was on the on the show Ballers which was the Dwayne Johnson's show. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a, a little bit of that, actually, like the first season or two and yeah. liked it. Uh, and her name is Catherine Haina Kim. Uh, okay. Oh, she's a beautiful woman. I don't know anything about her. Yeah. Yeah. She's got 39 credits. Yep. Yeah, she's been around with some stuff. Cool. I'm cool with that. All right. Who did you pick? Um, we were somewhat simpatico because I also went with a, an, Asian, an Asian-American actress. Okay. Um. Because I don't know why, but uh, what I first started off with was, well, I don't really know much about this character. She's a medical person. Let me go see who's been in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and I was like, I know I'll find multiple people there. Um, and I could have picked uh, the person who played Ellen Pompeo, uh, who plays Meredith Grey or right. some other stuff. But I ended up picking, well, you know what? She's done some other shows as well, like Killing Eve. Uh, she did the voice of, Invi- of the mother in Invincible, which is an awesome show on Amazon Prime. Um, and she was on Grey's Anatomy for quite a bit of time. I went with Sandra O oh is my Dr. Frazier. Love Sandra O. Oh. 
Uh, loved her in the movie Sideways. If you've ever seen Oh, that. yeah, I have seen Yeah, yeah, Great exactly. I movie. like Sideways. Not, no problems with that. Love Sandro. I feel like she's cool. a bigger name than would take a role like this, but it's hard to say. Sure. It's hard yeah, to say. Yeah, and I don't know if... I wasn't sure, are we recasting into TV? Or are we recasting into like a movie, a whole new starting, a whole new franchise? Well, what are we doing? I mean, that's the good thing about this. You could have you can cast it however you want. If you want it, yeah. if you want to cast it as a movie that kicks off the new a new series or just kicks off a new movie franchise yeah. based on SG-1, you could make this a little bit more hardcore and go like the HBO route. Um, yeah, which like, I think I want, I, just, I want hardcore. I think they I think they tried to do that from the beginning, and then I think they kind of settled into the more comedic thing mm. once they got to sci-fi. Sure. So, uh, but I'm I'm cool with that. All, uh, right. all right, General Hammond. Have you have you seen Invincible? Yeah, I loved it. Okay, I thought so. Great show. So. Great show. Yeah. Uh, new. I know the new season's coming out sometime this year. I think. I've been, I've been craving it. I don't know why the hell it's taking so long. I'm just like, <laughs> get me my fucking season two. I think COVID really slowed a bunch of things down. Yeah. And the, some, yeah. Of, some of the shows that did try to make it through COVID, some of them weren't very successful in trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And I understand because they're like, well, we got to make this show. And they just, you know, like Picard season two mm. drove me up a wall. And I understand oh, okay. the reason why some of it kind of sucked is because they had to dance around the whole COVID thing. So they were limited yeah. on what they could do. So, like, uh drove me crazy. I'm enjoying most of the season three that's come out so far, but it's been a okay, little bit more good. action-packed, which has been nice. Um, nice. All right, General Hammond, let's go with you. Yeah, you could go with any kind of, like, uh, older actor. Uh, but, you know, for Hammond, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go, does Hammond need to be a little bit more hard-nosed? He was kind of not, he was definitely not doofusy in the show. But, no. yeah, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell, like, what was a particular defining characteristic. So I picked an actor who I have seen in all different aspects, whether it's uh, at drama, comedy, however they want to take uh, General Hammond and this sci-fi uh, show that I'm pitching. This actor could do it all. And I've seen him in leadership roles like this before. And I know he has got good, great presence as an actor. I went with Lawrence Fishburne as my general. Oh, Hammond. I love that. I love that call. That's a good call. Okay. Cause yeah, he absolutely can, can do any of those uh, roles. We've seen him be serious. We've seen him be funny. He plays the grandpa on Blackish, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I've actually, I've, I haven't actually seen an episode with him. My, I, I've used every single actor from Blackish, right? But I mean, Lawrence Fishburne. We're you know we're talking yes. Morpheus here, so exactly. You know that's a household name. Uh, I like that. I also kind of went with a well. I wouldn't call him as much of a household name as Lawrence Fishburne is. But he's an he's a character actor who you definitely know who he is. He's done all kinds of things. Uh, he's a taller guy, so he always kind of plays kind of more intimidating characters. But I've seen him play guys with great senses of humor as well, so I could see that. I went with David Morse. Oh, I all I had to do was take it, find a picture, and I he played. Oh God, he played a military dude in something. Oh, he's in, he's in Hurt Locker, and that's probably you know what that's probably exactly where I remember seeing him from. Yeah, um, as a military guy in there, but yeah, he's he's got a military presence. I feel yeah, or I've seen. I him think he does play a lot of, of soldiers or or stuff like yep. that. Best known yeah. for playing Brutus in the Green Mile, um, who's mm-hmm. kind of like the tall guard. But even in that one, yeah. Brutus has got a pretty good sense of humor. So yeah, um, actually, one of the ones, one of the earliest ones that he's in that I love was the TV movie The Langoliers. Oh, I do. That's I remember the Langoliers. Yeah. Man, that 
I don't. I, I'm afraid to go back and watch it because I know it's not going to be good. Oh, I know because the 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 <laughs> graphics are going to be absolutely horrible, <laughs> terrible dog shit. Part of me still wants to go back and see it at some point. Yeah, eh, we'll consider it. Yeah. We will consider it. So, uh, I, I like great, really good call. A really good call. Cool. Uh, all right, Teal'c. I actually went with a guy who I initially actually picked to be my Jack O'Neill. Okay. And then I switched it because this guy's really, really tall, and I, I Tilk needs to have a very commanding presence because he's mm-hmm. he's meant to be this big soldier, uh, this big Jaffa soldier. Mm-hmm. So I wanted him to kind of still tower over the rest of the the guys. So uh, I went with Winston Duke. Uh, okay, uh, Mbaku. Yep. Um, he definitely has the height and the presence. I considered him. And I and I could see it, and I'd like to see him because I think with Jaffa that I got a little bit, he he plays very, not I mean very very straight, like mm-hmm. you know because he's that alien, he's that military alien type of person, um so he you know he just kind of says things very um bluntly and openly or like you know just kind of very, and also very like monotone right um, which is very different than we saw from Mbaku but I think he could still have a very comedic presence doing that way uh, which would still fit very well with Mbaku or sorry with Winston Duke um, and I like him as an actor and I want to see him in more stuff so I liked it a lot cool uh, who did so, you go with I thought for a second you might have picked the guy I picked because he is someone that we both like as an actor we both like him as a leading man and we want to see him more doing some leading roles and I just haven't seen him kind of grow into like, you know, be a huge star as we loved him, uh, particularly in the first half of the first season of Luke Cage. I want Mike Coulter as my teal. He was somebody who I also considered and probably didn't go with because I'd used him quite a bit. Yeah, I used him quite a bit too. And I'm not sure I wanted to use him again, but like I, I just couldn't think of anyone I liked better. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, uh, Major Samantha Carter. Who did you go with? So the defining characteristics for Major Samantha Carter uh, were she's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. She is a science. She's as smart as Daniel Jackson, and she's as badass as Jack O'Neill. Kind of, you know, that's kind of her mix. I, I got a little bit. Mm-hmm. So someone who I felt can do both action and f- seem very smart um, and sciency. Uh, she has done kind of that in the. Uh, Jurassic series, the Jurassic World series. I went with Bryce Dallas Howard as my major Samantha Carter. Okay, that's a different. I never would have thought of that of her for that, but I don't hate it. Okay, yeah, she's making some waves as a director. Actually, a lot. Oh, she's, very much. She's so. been doing particularly some, Star Wars yeah. stuff. She's been killing it. Yeah, so that would be interesting. So maybe, yeah, maybe maybe knowing her, knowing her Star Wars stuff, I'll also have her direct this movie or the show sure yeah cool i'm down for that okay i ended up going with an actress who is actually most known for doing voiceover and motion capture for video games on top of actually a youtube series that she's a part of but she's been in a lot of stuff but most notably anyone who is watching the show last of us who had played the video game, would know her as the voice of the original Ellie from the video game, uh, and that is Ashley Johnson. Yeah, I don't... Okay, oh, I kind of recognize her face. Yes, I definitely recognize her face. She's uh, been she, big in the um, the Critical Role series, the D- online D&D 
thing that they've been doing. She's been okay. digging that. Um, Blind spot. She had a whole thing. I've seen her in some stuff, and I just can't tell you right now off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, she's she's definitely been around, and she's got a lot of different credits. One hundred and forty six credits. And yeah, she's she's I think good call. It's a very good call. Yeah. Uh, all right, Daniel Jackson. I don't like my pick for Daniel Jackson. I made okay. I made it very hastily, and I think I made him way too young. Mm, okay. Um, I was like, oh, who's somebody who looks nerdy? I picked an actor who's like twenty three right now, and I feel like he's way Ooh. too young. I should have picked like yeah. at, I should have picked somebody who was later twenties. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can age him up, but. The thing is, is I'm I'm gonna see if you can see past him uh, from his role on a very big TV show when he was a kid. He was he, you're gonna most you're gonna think of him as a kid, but he's 23 now. I saw some f- some photos and some video of him now. He's obviously taller because he's 23. He looks more adult. Um, but I went with Isaac Hempstead Wright, who you would know as Brandon Stark. Oh, gotcha. He has a very nerdish look, and that's really what I latched onto. I kind of wish I'd gone with somebody older, honestly. He does have the oldish look. I haven't seen him in anything other than Game of Thrones, and I ended up hating him in Game of Thrones. Even his performance I didn't care for. Right. And maybe it's just how they took Bran in general, and I'm sure it is. It's probably maybe more how he was told he needed to be, but I just didn't like him. Uh, So I I don't know. I'm not going to. I'm not gonna tell you I love that one. That's fine. I, I don't no. think I love that one actually. Okay. So uh who did you pick? I went with a uh I think he's also a British actor. He is kind of gangly and kind of I think he can have nerdy stuff. He's been not nerdy, but even even then he's kind of you know had some some plenty of nerd cred to him. Um I think he could fit as a smart Dr. Jackson. I went with Andrew Garfield. Okay. My I can Jackson. totally see that. Yeah. Okay. I can totally see that. Yours is, I think, turning into a much more bigger budget. Yeah. Oh, big without question. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think you're I think you're doing the uh, the the HBO route. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. All right. Well, that leads us to Jack O'Neill. Who did you pick? He is currently. I've used him multiple times, but I don't care. Um, I had to. I wanted to try and. I wasn't sure if I needed to to fit hard nose. You know, Kurt Russell. Or the uh, Dean Martin Anderson, kind of more comical route. This guy, I'm certain, could do both. And he's already the star of a badass streaming show that both you and I love. And so I think he could definitely have the vibes of if we had it, gave him like a HBO version of Stargate SG-1. Carl Urban is my Colonel. Oh, okay. I love Carl Urban. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's... yeah, and he could do both. He could do, yep. So, I got nothing bad, I got nothing bad to ever say about Carl Urban. Okay, sure. You could have cast sure. him as Samantha Carter, and I'd be like, you know what, I see it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the only bad thing is he could walk in your door right now, and your wife would leave you for Carl Urban. And I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. I'm, I would probably leave her for Carl, Carl Urban. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so I went with someone who has also led a TV show, not quite as well-known as Carl Urban. Also, doesn't have as big of a movie career as Carl Urban has had, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely has that kind of military look. Played 
in the care in the show he's most known for, he did play more of a hard ass than 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 the comedic role. But we could edge some of that in. Uh, I went with Stephen Amell. Oh yeah, uh, Green Arrow. Green Arrow, yeah, 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 yeah. And he does have that military look. You know, I I think that fits. And for like your smaller budget stuff, yeah, exactly. He's done lead stuff, and yeah, I kind of see him more and more. So that's a good call. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, that was our recasting of Stargate SG-1. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. John and I go over our favorite 70s one-hit wonders. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.